fruit makes the best pie. That'll make sense in just a moment. I've already heard an answer over here by Jack Floyd. I think you said the same thing. Uh, somebody I heard said, did you say it, Jack? No, okay. Jack, Jack didn't say a thing. That's the title of the sermon. There was a question. I'll come back to that in a moment. You know we're going to go up and eat in just a moment. And uh, my wife will be delighted that I'm going to point this out. But she's made homemade lasagna. And it's not any good. <laughs> I know I ate a bunch of it yesterday. So y'all don't want it. No, it's, it's awesome. So anyway, but she always makes extra. So we had some lasagna yesterday. And we're going to go eat in a minute. So we've been talking about fruit over the last few weeks. It is the theme of our uh, generosity uh, and stewardship this year. And there's a lot that Jesus says about fruit. And I want to go back and read the couple of scriptures that We've emphasized over the last two Sundays, if you weren't here, but these need to be heard again. There, any scripture does. But So the first one is Colossians 1.10. It's been kind of our main theme, Colossians 1.10. It lists four things, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. That's a good, or am I doing that? Do I live my life in a life that's worthy of the Lord? Boy, I fail at it sometimes. But I know this is a goal. I've got to keep it. Second thing, do you please him in every way? Again, man, what a goal to do everything in your life that you would please the Lord. Please, please, please him in every way. Again, I, I have to repent. But it's my goal. I want that to be. That I may live a life worthy of the Lord. That I may please him in every way. Bearing fruit, which is the emphasis that we've been talking about. Bearing fruit in every good work. So we're going to talk again about God being the fruit inspector. What kind of fruit does he see in your life if he inspects the fruit in your life? So, so bearing fruit in every good work, that's the third thing. And then the last thing, growing in the knowledge of God. We never stop that until we go home one day. So four great goals, Colossians 1.10. The other passage I preached on is, is in a couple of weeks ago. That was John 15. I just, again, want to remind you, one of the great I am statements of Jesus. And, and again, it, it gives us such a clear visual that even I can understand it. A child can understand it. John 15, I'll read verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, abide in me. And we don't generally use the word abide, but that means to remain. Stick with me. Stay with me. Remain in me. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine and neither can you. So he's making this personal. And neither can you unless you abide, unless you remain in me, Jesus said. And then if we didn't get it in verse 4, he says it real plain. In verse 5, he says, I am the vine. And you, you, brothers and sisters, the branches, however you're a branch, that's all you are. I'm the vine, you're a branch. He or she who abides in me and I in them, they're going to bear much fruit. But for without me, you can do nothing. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Bearing fruit for God's kingdom. These two passages remind us, they remind us of the biblical mandate to bear fruit. Both of them emphasize that. You and I are to bear fruit. In what ways are you bearing fruit 
for Jesus Christ. He expects that. We, we see this clearly in this passage. What kind of fruit are you bearing for Jesus Christ? Another illustration that I want to emphasize in the main sermon for today, or the main scripture for today, uh, it emphasizes a very important truth about fruit. Jesus concludes, I'm about to read to you in Matthew the 7th chapter, but it reminds you it's the Sermon on the Mount. So you, it's the longest sermon that we have recorded that he preached. You can go back and read all of it in Matthew the 5th chapter. You know, it's the one where he starts out with the Beatitudes. Blessed are you and blessed are they. So he starts out and then chapter 6 and he's still talking, he's still preaching. And so this is one of the stories that he kind of ends with, an illustration to make some pretty hard truths for us to swallow. But nonetheless, this is hey, one of the stories that he ends with his sermon. So I'm in Matthew 7, verses 15 and 20. Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Then he said, you will know them by their fruits. So he's giving us some information. He's warned us about false teaching, but he says, you will know them by their fruits. Then he goes on and illustrates a little further. He said, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? Or do they gather figs, another type of fruit in Israel? Do they gather figs from thistles? And, of course, we have figs around here. But the obvious answer is, well, well no. You don't, get, you don't get grapes from thorn bushes, and you don't get figs from thistles. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree, it bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. That's simple enough. We ought to understand that. Then he emphasizes, verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Why do you have to say that? Because he wants us to realize how serious it is with the type of fruit that we produce in our lives. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then he emphasizes again, says the same thing. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. You will be known by the fruit that you have in your life. So certainly with these three scriptures, and this is only a few that Jesus talks about fruit, but how important it is that you and I produce fruit for the kingdom of God, bearing fruit for his kingdom. What kind of fruit are you producing? I pastored in Crossville almost nine years, Crossville United Methodist Church, and it was tradition, had been for years, to go to Crow Mountain. I don't know if you've ever been to Crow Mountain. Crow Mountain Orchards just north of Scottsboro. And if you want to go the back way up the skyline, up on top of the mountain north of Scottsboro, you can go through Hollywood. Did you know there is a Hollywood, Alabama? It's nothing like the one in California. They don't have a red light in Hollywood, Alabama. But you can go up the back way through the management area named James D. Martin, and you can make your way and snake your way up. And we would always go both ways and circle around and a lot of times we'd have to go to the unclaimed baggage in Scottsboro, and we always ate at the barbecue place in Scottsboro. you got to eat when you go to Crow Mountain. So it was tradition to go to Crow Mountain. Now here at our church, we have the R&R. That stands for the retired and ready. At Crossville, they had the C&C. That stands for the cream of the crop. So the C&C the had to go every year to Crow Mountain Orchard. 
And I would listen to their stories, and I'd drive the 15-passenger van. Sometimes we'd take two vans. The Baptist church would go with us. Because you've got to go to Crow Mountain if you live in Crossville. You've got to go during the fall and get the apples. And so they would tell stories and everything. And up at Crow Mountain, by the way, they have this many apples. They have the Pink Lady. They got Granny Smith. They got Mutsu. They got Rome. They got Arkansas Black. They got Wine Sap. They got the John of Gold, they got Jonathan, they got Red Delicious, they got Golden Delicious, and they got Macintosh. Now, other times of the year, if you want to go up there, they do have blueberries, they've got blackberries, they've got cherries, they've got plums, and they've got pears. They got all kinds of fruit. What would I would do if we'd listen to the CNC, the cream of the crop? Because as I would listen, they would tell me which apples as we would go in the fall to get apples. I learned that which apples would make the best preserves. And I learned which apples were the best cooking apples. The best to make pies with. And of course, if you wanted a more tart pie, you could get a particular apple. And if you wanted a sweeter pie, they cook up better. That's the best. So I learned a lot of information. Another thing was... They also had an opinion as to which one was the best keeping apple. You know what that means on Sand Mountain, the best keeping apple. They'll stay in the cupboard a lot longer down in the cool of the basement or in the refrigerator. Do you have a clue as to which one, according to Crow Mountain Orchard, is the best keeping apple? Anybody? The pink lady. So now you know that the best apple that you can get in the world, according to the cream of the crop at Crossville, United Methodist Church is to get the Pink Lady. I've watched them as we would go inside, and I would just observe it. I'd buy my bag of apples, whatever I wanted, but I would just watch the cream of the crop. Y'all, they would inspect. And I mean, they'd pick them up. Yeah, Pink Lady, they're the best. You know, and I could hear them talking, and they were, just, they were into it. They were inspecting those apples. They were going to get the best fruit for their money, inspecting and inspecting and inspecting those apples. Get that visual, and Jesus gives us illustrations, and we realize that God Almighty inspects apples. God help me, He inspects me, He inspects you, He knows, He knows, He knows my life, He knows every bit of fruit that I produce, good and bad, and He knows yours. And He clearly teaches us twice, He tells us so clear, You will know them. By their fruit. So it's the scripture certainly challenges us to be fruit inspectors in our own lives because we know that ultimately he sees the fruit in our lives. Jesus is fully capable of discerning the fruit in your life and my life. Jesus concludes this Sermon on the Mount with this story in Matthew 7 with this, this graphic warnings to the hearers. Failure to take seriously what he has said in the sermon will result in some disastrous consequences and bad fruit. That's what he tells us. He warns us about three specific dangers. Here they are. Number one, the tendency not to take the demands of discipleship serious. That's one of the things he warns us. Discipleship's important to him. He wants us producing good fruit. Number two, the possibility of being led astray by false prophets who do not teach the Word of God. He, he tells us that many times. He's telling us here again that we could be led astray in order for not to produce good fruit. The third thing, the notion that it is 
that it is enough just to simply to hear the teaching of Jesus without putting the teaching into practice. That's one of the other things that he's warning us, cautioning us. Be careful. Be careful about false prophets. Be careful that you produce good fruit because you're going to know them by their fruit. A couple of passages, I looked in the Old Testament, and there are many, many scriptures in the Bible that indicate to us that Jesus, the living God, is able to see everything in our life. That's both comforting, but it's also convicting. Here's just two I found. as I was trying to find this passage, the one that talked about the eyes of the Lord, and I found it. But here are two in Chronicles, just two of the fact that God inspects. First Chronicles 28.9, the statement is about Solomon. Solomon, you remember, was the son of David, the king of Israel. First Chronicles 28.9, as for you, my son Solomon, Know the God of your father, David. Know, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. A loyal heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches, inspects, he searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. That's First Chronicles 28 9. The other passage, the one I was looking for as I was preparing this sermon, is Second Chronicles 16 9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole, the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Again, we know that he has eyes to inspect. In fact, his eyes go throughout the whole earth. He's not disturbed by all that's going on in the world. He cares about it, but it doesn't knock him off the throne. Every threat by North Korea, God doesn't flinch and worry about it. He knows his eyes can go over the whole earth including my heart and my mind and my thoughts. When God inspects the fruit of your life, will he find a loyal heart? Now back to the question. What fruit makes the best pie? I asked my wife. She is an excellent cook. And uh, right off the bat when I asked her, I said, hey, the title of my sermon is a question, so I'm just going to ask you, what fruit, and she loves for me to include her in the sermon. What fruit makes the best pie? And she immediately said, apples. And I knew that's what she was going to say. Now, I learned when I married into the Galloway clan that when they eat apple pie, it's got to be hot. And I don't know if you do this or not. I never had. Now, I'm all for vanilla ice cream on top of it. But you know what the Galloways do and what my wife does? She gets a scoop or a slice of butter and puts it right on top. Start that butter, start. Don't knock it, it's pretty good. And you can, that little butter, you go ahead and get a little bit of that butter and get a bite of that pie. It's good. You try it. I don't know if we're going to have apple pie on there, but you better get it quick because there's going to be a run on it, I'm afraid. My answer is this What fruit makes the best pie? If the piece of pie is sitting in front of you, then whatever fruit is in there, that'll be just fine. That'd be the best pie because I like them all. 
we have been emphasizing five practices of fruitful congregations. I reminded you as a church about seven and a half years ago, many of you read the book, Five Practices of Fruitful Congregations. It was written by Bishop Snave. I heard him at Camp Simatonga a few weeks ago. He's rewriting, tweaking the book, but he hadn't changed those five practices. I've emphasized them to you. I'm about to emphasize them to you again. And I'm going to get you to get a Sharpie marker when you get home so you won't forget them. And you take a Sharpie marker and I want you to write all five of them on the back side of your fingers. Will you do that? Choir's going to do it because they can see that I did it on the back side of my hand. Just lie and say I did it. But I want you to remember them as the stem of a tree and these five. Hospitality. Worship, faith development, mission and service, and generosity. And he added an adjective in front of those five. Radical hospitality, passionate worship, intentional faith development, risk-taking mission and service, and then extravagant generosity. So there are those five. They're out on these limbs. They're all biblical. God wants you to be passionate about the worship that you do. Again, whether it's individually or coming together, He wants your worship. Hospitality is for everybody. Everybody ought to smile, be friendly, welcome somebody. Hospitality, kindness. Faith development, we just read we got to grow in our knowledge of God. That's our faith. We got to grow. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he or she who comes to God must believe that he is and that God is a reward of them that will diligently seek him. So he cares about your faith. Faith development, risk-taking, mission and service, and then generosity. He adds the extravagant generosity. So there are those five out on the limbs. The five others that I want to remind you of that when you became a member of this church, you took a vow. Any church you join generally asks you to make some kind of commitment, some kind of vow. Well, in Methodist Church, we have five. Whenever somebody joins a church, I ask them these five. They're all biblical. So you got these five. We got hospitality, we got worship, we got faith development, we've got mission and service, and we've got generosity. Here are the five that we made to the church. Yes, God, I will uphold the church. With my prayers, with my prayers, with my presence, with my gifts, with my service, and with my witness. All biblical. All things that God would ask. So now you've got a tree with these ten limbs. I'm going to uphold the church with my prayers. I'm going to be there, my presence. I'm going to give back to God my gifts. I'm going to serve him. And I'm going to witness for him because I know that my witness is based on the fruit that I've got in my life. Because they're going to know me by my fruit. That's going to be my witness. So all these are biblical. So you can remember them. You've got the tree. You've got the limb. Jesus said, I'm the vine. You're the branch. But outside of me, you can do nothing. So those ten are just ways that we can continue to follow God. Church, this church, the church of Jesus Christ, must have lay ministers, Christian volunteers, servant, whatever title you like best, but if the church doesn't have that, then the church is not healthy and it's not vibrant. It depends upon the fruit that we produce. The fruit of your time, the fruit of your talent, and the fruit of your treasure reveal 
the quality of the harvest that you produce. So what kind of fruit does Jesus see when he looks at your life? Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. And Jesus would remind us, I'm fully capable, Jesus would say, of knowing exactly what kind of fruit is in your life. And I would say that, thank you, Jesus, but oh, God, help me, have mercy upon me. I want to change the closing hymn. Uh, Rhonda and many know it. I want us to sing the old rugged cross, and I'll explain why. I just decided 